Hello and welcome to the Health in Europe podcast. I'm your host Greg Bianchi. We've launched this podcast to bring you the latest on WHO's work in the European region. Our region is broad and diverse. From the mid-Atlantic and stretching as far as the Chinese border, we work with fascinating and driven individuals and groups. This podcast is about hearing their stories and how they might impact your day-to-day life. This is the final episode in the three-part series for Utopia from WHO's Regional Office for Europe. In the first episode, we explored why an annual flu vaccine is important. In the second, we looked at how new flu vaccines are made each year. In this, the third and final episode, we speak about how flu vaccines are rolled out to people. Different countries have different approaches. In this episode, we explore the different tactics taken in various countries. But first, a reminder. What are the key components of rolling out a vaccine? Siddhartha, who featured in episode one, tells us more. Right, so I think uh, there are a couple of parts in 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 this one. I I would I would again, you know, try to uh, um, you know di- uh, put different uh, facets into it. One is to know who should get vaccinated in uh, if 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 a flu vaccine is available, and uh, you know WHO recommendation exists around that. And one of the important uh, beneficiaries to this vaccine are our health and social care workers because they are at high risk of both acquiring and transmitting the virus to the people whom they are taking care of. Obviously, uh, vaccinating the, the, the pregnant women uh, comes, uh, comes a bigger uh, element around it. Vaccinating the children comes around, uh, around the same topic. But I think this is who are getting the vaccine. The important element of it is how do we ensure that the population is aware that the vaccine is available and also they receive the vaccine. Brings the important component around the public health perspective or public health campaign perspective around it. How do we communicate where they will get the vaccine, who should get vaccinated and when they should come up to the vaccine, you know, vaccine um, uh, delivery places. Extremely important in this COVID-19 setting is that the, 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 the pre-COVID-19 setting which was used for COVID uh, flu vaccine rollout may not actually be uh, the same as in this setting of COVID-19. It's extremely important that we let people know that there will be some additional measures put in when they are coming for the, the, uh, for the flu vaccines. Uh, there will be some appointments being done with with the GPs when they will be coming. There will be uh, physical distancing in a in a setting when there will be several beneficiaries around at the same point of time. So I think there will be changes made in the health system in delivering this flu vaccine, and I think this is this will be related to. Uh, a, a, an effective uh, campaign or a rollout of a vaccine. The other part is also to understand in this current setting what the population's perception is around this flu vaccine. Uh, you know, it is extremely important that we uh, have a public health campaign or a communications campaign around uh, understanding the insights uh, of the populations and the perception when we talk about a, a rolling out of a successful vaccination campaign. So now we know a little about the key components of rolling out a vaccine, what examples do we have of countries delivering vaccines direct to people? 
We spoke to Olga Manikina in WHO's country office in the Russian Federation about a public vaccination campaign that encourages people to get vaccinated while going about their daily lives. Moscow uh, is one of the largest uh, megacities in the world with uh, around uh, 12 million citizens and uh, uh, for instance for um, uh, building uh, citywide immunity uh, Moscow authorities they provide vaccination against influenza for free and you can get uh, your shot for instance in polyclinics or in especially equipped uh, mobile points that's um, located at the most visited sites of the city for instance close to a metro station uh, and um, the advantages, I think they are rather clear. So it's free, it's convenient, uh, it's safe and it's uh, reliable. And what is especially important for such a big city is that the procedure is very fast and you don't need uh, any appointment in advance. And for instance, each mobile station uh, has capacity to vaccinate up to 500 people daily. Uh, and um, I just also wanted to mention that, for instance, for 2020, the results of this mobile vaccination campaign, they were impressive. Uh, for instance, from September to November, more than uh, 400,000 uh, people got their shots. So it's one thing to encourage people to get vaccinated in busy places like metro stations, but what is the overall attitude of people towards getting the flu vaccine? Mm, uh, the mobile vaccination uh, started in Moscow five years ago, and uh, as we can uh, see, with each uh, season, it's uh, becoming more and more popular. And uh, for most people, it's uh, rather natural. I would say probably we can compare it's like getting out your winter coat. So the season uh, changes and uh, we get vaccinated. And uh, so we can do it, for instance, on our way to work or university or, for instance, just walking around the city. And um, in many uh, big cities, and um, including Moscow, most of the citizens, they are very busy every day. And uh, so the strategy of making the procedure as convenient as possible, it really removes the barrier, barriers and the uh, vaccination rates, they, they are increasing. Uh, and also for many professions, for instance, like uh, teachers, um, social care and uh, health care and social workers and also uh, people involved in the hospitality sector, the vaccination uh, against influenza is the part of their job and the opportunity to get it fast and safe, it really becomes uh, a huge advantage. And uh, uh, also I would like to mention that some uh, for citizens who take this decision to get vaccinated, uh, one of the main and probably fundamental motives is that uh, they're taking care of themselves, they're taking care of their loved ones and of their health in general. So this is one example of how to increase vaccination rates for influenza. Often flu is seen as something that only affects older people, but what about children? Why is it important that they get vaccinated as well? I asked Richard Peabody, who you may remember from episodes 1 and 2. Um, and for most children, flu is, um, you know, an, a, 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 an annoying but self-limiting infection. But in fact, many children actually are hospitalised with influenza. Um, Hospitalisations due to influenza are, are actually, um, a, you know, a big burden amongst children. And secondly, children are also really important spreaders of influenza in the population as well. So by vaccinating children we really have two sort of main benefits i mean firstly there is for the children themselves 
protects them against a nasty infection, um, prevents them from being hospitalized, um, and also uh, it reduces their risk of, of passing on influenza to um, to their friends, to vulnerable groups, to their grandparents and to other family members. And so it has those sort of in indirect benefits as well. So uh, a number of countries uh, do have vaccination programs which offer influenza vaccine to children um, and you know uh, some success stories there around protecting both the kids and also the, the wider population. Are there other groups who might not be classed as vulnerable who, when vaccinated, can play an important role in the response to flu? Yeah, I mean, I think, of course, the the group which really comes to mind here are, are, are the um, health and social care workers. Um, so uh, generally those are individuals, obviously healthy for the most part, working age adults, um, who play a really important role in... Um, keeping the health service and uh, and the care homes and so on running. Um, really important that they're protected themselves against um, against a, you know a nasty infection which um, can Im impact on their ability to work. Um, but also by vaccinating them, it, it's really helping to protect the vulnerable people that they're looking after. You know whether that's um, patients in the hospital um, and outbreaks nosocomial outbreaks of influenza are, are you know not uncommon um, and really can cause a nasty impact um, amongst vulnerable groups and, and of course in care homes as well it's a very similar story um, elderly groups who can again really show significant um, uh, impact from influenza outbreaks in those settings and by vaccinating both them but also their carers um, that that will play a really important role in, in in the response to influenza. So now we know about the rollout of a flu vaccine and the different approaches to getting people vaccinated. We also know about the importance of children getting vaccinated as well as health and social care workers who may themselves be severely affected by influenza affect vulnerable people around them. With this in mind, what can be done to increase the uptake of vaccines among healthcare workers? We spoke with Dr Anya McNamara about a great deal of work she did along with marketing colleagues at the National University of Ireland Galway on understanding the barriers to vaccination among health workers and what can be done to increase uptake. We started off doing like a baseline survey of staff to try to get what their barriers were. And so I think that's something you can, you know, that's done all the time, but then we built in it. And I think that's that's the richer part. We looked at what, um, you know, asked them maybe even at the bars, what did they actually mean? It was called a clarifying statement. And that actually was quite instructive because some person might say access to vaccines is an issue. Um, but unless you know, do they mean they can't physically get to the clinic? Is it in a different site or is it they don't they can't get time off to get to it or whatever? So it was actually helpful to categorize out those things. So, so we built on that and we got those like expert review and stakeholder analysis of all those barriers. We spent long hours and um, did out themes, mapped them all out. And from that, then they actually what we did was we, we looked at what actually are the the underlying forces the underlying dynamics that are um, interacting with all these barriers as such you know and, and that really was kind of the key thing by surveying healthcare workers Anya and her team were better able to identify the reasons why people might not get vaccinated and find ways to address that 
but people wanted to know um, the evidence. They wanted to know what the efficacy was, the difference in explaining the effectiveness to them. Um, they wanted to know, I suppose, why the disease is of a serious enough nature. And I think that was also a, a very important point to be able to. So you do need your data and you need your, your facts and figures and you need to present that then, depending on your audience, I think is the big thing in a multitude of, of, of ways. Um, another thing we, we found is that, you know, for a lot of staff, or I suppose that was the staff in a healthcare setting, you need to like why what's the benefit to them as well of taking on a vaccine there's duty obviously people would say that you know ethical um looking after their patients but for a lot of them that i found again it was it and we've that's a big driver of vaccine uptake anyway self-interest of any um health behavior improvement is what's in it for you so a lot of it was kind of saying to them um you know you know you can take you are as a healthcare worker more likely to get the flu Therefore, you're more likely to pass it on to your family and your friends and your then your you know relatives and then your your patients. And I could see I, I used to use the analogy of I'm sure we all have someone at home who's on cancer treatment or something. And you literally could see, you know, the eyes going, oh, yeah. And like you're taking this home to them. So why don't you get you? you because we all are people who are on chemotherapy and you do everything to prevent them getting sick. So in a way, this was kind of this vaccine is another way another preventive measure that you can do to prevent your loved one from getting sick and, you know, uh, and, and maybe ending up in hospital. Beyond highlighting the ethical considerations, Anya also explains the importance of peer vaccinators among healthcare workers, making it easier to get a vaccine from the people you work with. A peer vaccinator, like our um, staff who are trained up like nurses um, to give uh, vaccines to their peers, basically to their colleagues on the wards or in healthcare settings. So it's not the traditional model of the doctor either prescribing or giving the vaccine and um, the nurses there's a medicine protocol that they work to so they prescribe and give the flu vaccine themselves. Peer vaccinators have been game changers really in, in terms of um, flu vaccine across the world. Um, we've only modelled what others have done um, but it has because they're also as I said that influencers they're the, the flu champions and, and they're their colleague. That was the big thing and it is it's like us all if you see it's your colleague who you know is asking you do you want to get the flu vaccine and giving it to you, you know, you're more likely and they're on the ward. You don't have to travel off to somewhere else to get it or, you know, because even if it's in the hospital, if you're stuck up in theatre or unit trying to travel, go off down somewhere with your time is so limited, staff weren't doing it again because like that, what was the benefit to them? And, and once you get people, I suppose, to the evidence is that if people take, say, like a flu vaccine once, they're more likely to take it again. So it's always good to to get the new number. So I'd say it'll be hopefully the COVID. And one positive, well, what we used to do in the messaging as well was that, as I said, past experiences, people always remember the negatives and that Mary had her vaccine last year and was unwell for weeks afterwards. Whereas I would counter it and say, 35,000 healthcare workers got the flu vaccine last year and the system didn't fall down, you know, the way with 35,000 people going out sick. So it, we kind of tell them, remember the positives. This is the final episode in the series Flutopia. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about influenza and WHO Europe's work in this area, you can find out more on the WHO Europe website. Thanks to Dr. Richard Pevody, Dr. Siddhartha Datta, Olga Manakina, and Dr. Anya McNamara for taking part in this episode. Thanks also to Stephanie Brickman for helping researching this series. We'll be back in a few months with a new series. This episode is presented by me, Greg Bianchi. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.